I'm Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. The year is 1960. The album An Evening with Mike Nichols and Elaine May. The artist you guessed at Mike Nichols and Elaine May. My guest, Christian Brune. Thank you for returning. Hi, how you doing? Glad uh, to be back. I'm good. Um, let's let's front load the the promo and then do it at the end too. I, All right. I, just because it's going to come out soon, and I sure. want to make sure people know to watch you and the nicest man in show business besides yourself. Oh, oh yeah, Jerry O'Connell. Oh my God, so nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's wonderful. He's hilarious and uh, kind and and gentle mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, a a hell of a lot of fun to work with. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the show is called Carter. Uh huh. Yeah. And where do we find it? It's on WGN America. It's currently airing uh, Tuesdays at 10 p.m., that magical time slot Mm -hmm. that everybody just craves for. But (laughs) despite all that, we actually have um, incredible numbers on on the network, which is great. And people are really enjoying it. We're getting great feedback. Mm -hmm. And um, and yeah, it's been it's been going really well. That's so so good. Yeah. I'm excited. You know, you're always nervous when you. It's a brand new show. It's mm-hmm. a new detective procedural right. with a lot of comedy involved, a lot of murders, a small town with way too many murders going sure. on. Sure, of course. And you, you never know how people are going to take it. And, you know, a procedural is a beast unto itself. A detective mm-hmm. procedural, it's been done to death, and mm-hmm. you're always looking for your take or how you can make yours a little bit different or more entertaining. And mm-hmm. for us, we, we kind of ramped up the comedy a little bit while still keeping it in sort of the real like it, 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 it feels like a light comedy, but fit into the structure of a one-hour detective procedural. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. That's so good. I feel like an ass because I haven't seen it yet. But I mean, I How don't, I don't have TV. You? I don't have that's yeah, I'm that. I, see I have one a right TV. Here. I have a TV. That is true. <laughs> I do have one, a single TV. I will watch it. I mean, I want to. You understand? I want to watch. Yeah, it. I understand. You, you understand? I understand. You get it? Yeah. My best friend Jerry O'Connell's on it. Exactly. I say Has my he best been friend. On the show? He, oh God! Are you kidding? No. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> I will tell you, he's one of the few people on Twitter to actually interact with you. If I mean, to be fair, I did call him like the nicest man in TV because, like, when I was an extra, he was so fucking sweet, and everybody's stories about him were like yeah. legend. It's one of those. It's weird. You don't get those. Usually, it's like, oh, he just keeps to himself, or just exactly. him, him, and who was the other one? It was him either way. Got very good stories to the point where like everybody was hanging out and talking with him. And I like an ass encroached between these two extras and put my hand out because I wanted a handshake too. <laughs> and he obliged yeah. like the nicest man. He does that with everybody and he treats everybody with, you know, love and respect and is interested in, you know, strangers that he meets. Mm-hmm. And uh, we shot the show in North Bay, Ontario, which is like four hours drive north of Toronto. It's mm-hmm. a very small city in the middle of beautiful lakes and trees and that's about it Mm -hmm. and uh this town just went nuts for jerry because he became like this north bay ambassador for three months while we were working there they gave him a key to the city oh my god he would you know he would tweet about businesses this is this is what i love if you want some good reading go on yelp Mm -hmm. and look up north bay ontario and then look up some of the businesses there he's left reviews on so many businesses in north bay it's hilarious, like the Good Life Fitness and the Crown and Beaver Pub mm. and uh, like so many different pubs and restaurants that he ate at. He's left these hilarious Yelp reviews on mm-hmm. them. Uh, they're like little Easter eggs for you to to find in North Bay, Ontario's Yelp section. 
Um, he's great. He's he's just such a fun guy to work with. He's I, I can't say enough good stuff about him because I mean I've been very lucky. I I was I was thinking I remember going to the first read through of of Carter. This is totally off topic, but <laughs> but thinking like in the back of my head, just rolling my eyes going, oh boy, this is, it's Jerry O'Connell. I'm sure he's going to be a real handful. Uh, I've had a good run. I've worked with some great people. It's, it's all over. Uh-huh. This is going to be a long summer. And like from the get go, he's just a total joy and he's hilarious and uh, so, so funny and inappropriate and all the things I love in uh, someone to work with. And a buddy, and you know he's become a buddy of mine now, and uh, yeah, he's just—he's an icon. Mm-hmm. The man never stops working, right? And there's a reason he's—he really knows how the camera works. Mm-hmm. He knows what he's doing. He's got a ton of experience, but he's also just so much fun to work with, and that comes across on screen, I think. And he's really good at building a rapport with other actors and chemistry, and uh, you know he. He was a real leader on set. Like he really mm-hmm. welcomed every single guest star. Uh, you know, would go out for dinner with them and you know make them feel part of the gang. And pretty nice. It was pretty awesome. That's pretty great. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell my story later about him because it's not my story to tell. It's another extra story. <laughs> okay. But I don't know that extra name. I'll tell it later. <laughs> All right. And we should probably start talking about the I album. I guess we should talk about the album. Until yeah. he releases his own com- Jerry <laughs> yeah. comedy album. Um, okay, so we were talking on the way up here. This is what this is one that's always on a list of like greatest comedy albums. Yep. But you had not had the opportunity to hear it. Nope. It's 1960. It's uh, a classic duo that um, it was actually an acting teacher that that got me onto them because I was uh, what I was. I told you I was they came up in, in conversation because I was researching the time period. Mm-hmm. I was doing something for acting class uh, earlier in the year because I still like to study. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just kind of going into the backstory of uh, a character that I was playing for a number of weeks in uh, th- that I was studying. And uh, I was studying 1960, trying to like get as much material on that time period because I'm not very familiar with it. Sure. Um, you know, this is 20 years before I was born, 19 years. Um, and this came up. Uh, Mike Nichols and Elaine May, uh, and my teacher said, you know, go YouTube some stuff, listen to, you know, Nichols and May, and 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 you'll get a real sense of comedy timing from this t- from this period. Yeah. And uh, I I had seen maybe just a couple quick clips mm-hmm. on YouTube and was just blown away immediately and, and kind of notched in the back of my mind like okay make sure you listen to some stuff and then just never got around to it yeah. um so when you you know asked me to come back on the podcast and pick something i was reading one of those lists of you know greatest comedy albums of all time and that was uh right there and immediately i knew okay this is the one i want to do yeah because i've been meaning to do that and i i'm not disappointed you know i i'm someone who loves all types of comedy um, I generally think comedy doesn't age well. Yeah. Uh, and we even talked about that last time with mm-hmm. Patton Oswalt, uh, who is like one of my favorites of all time. Of course. But there was parts of, of the album that we were talking about that, that didn't quite stand the test of time. And Patton would be the pr- first person to, I think, to acknowledge that yeah. and, and move on for that. And I think any good comedian does, but, but this holds up like it's really fucking good and uh it's 
and it doesn't swear like I just did. It, you know, it doesn't <laughs> resort to vulgarities. It's just sure. like because you wouldn't swear like that back then in, right. in in live theater. This was a Broadway show that they did, and I think this is just yeah, it's highlights from the Broadway production. Uh-huh. So it's only four sketches of theirs, and I'm sure there's more that they did, and it just kind of blows me away, like that, especially that first that first track, the operator one, the telephone <laughs> one, which I. I, I went for a walk and listened to the whole thing, mm-hmm. and I was smiling the whole walk and laughing out loud, which I don't like to do in public because <laughs> people think I'm crazy, but uh-huh. uh, uh, which I am, but I don't want people to know. Uh-huh. And um, I couldn't help but laugh. Like, it sounds so... Obviously, it's of a time because, you know, Nichols is calling into the operator talking about, like, oh, I don't want to lose my dime, and I, I can't even remember a time when a... You know, a phone call cost a dime. I do remember using pay phones and it costing a quarter. Sure. But I don't remember having to call up an operator unless I was making a collect call and they just connect you. Here, it's of a time, but their voices, the clarity of their voices, the accent coming out of New York, it's not too thick, but it's there. Mm -hmm. The timing, the pace, the banter Mm -hmm. is modern. Like, it it feels... Like you could be, it, it feels like two modern comedians doing a period piece almost. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. It makes me think, uh, and maybe it's because you're in the room and I associate you with comedy, comedy bang bang. But like, uh, it does make me think because this stuff is, from what I understand, developed obviously from improv yeah, and therefore yeah. turned into like let's let's just hone this and hone this and hone yeah. this. That's one thing you don't see with some of the great. Uh, uh, improv podcasts. They just do their thing and they fucking let it go. Yep. I would love to know. I would like to see one of those shows and see if they could just fucking hone it and see what kind of shit they would get. That if they would be to. amazing. Yeah, you know? and and I think that's certainly like places like Second City coming out of Chicago and Toronto. Um, I know they write a lot of their their shows mm-hmm. out of improv, so they'll yeah. just do like an improv writing session and, and come up with stuff and. And develop it from there. And I think it's such an interesting way of working. Mm-hmm. I even find when I'm writing, if I'm working on a script, I'll try and like improv banter back and forth in my head and see what works. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of writers do that. But here, like, you can also hear them fucking with each other <laughs> and like trying to like just, they're just peppering things in and they just go with each other's flow so perfectly. Yeah. It's it's amazing. Like his, he has all these fillers mm-hmm. in the like conversations that their two characters are having that are just hilarious. I, I think it was in the uh, the disc jockey track <laughs> where like you know she's talking about these pe- these name dropping these people he keeps name dropping and he's he's got all these like yeah sure sure uh-huh oh yeah sure but like every once in a while he'll just ping her with one that will be <laughs> so hilarious and kind of out of left field but also so perfect mm-hmm. and you'll hear the audience just bubble up at it for <laughs> one second and it's just genius and it never throws her for a loop and she no. just she just keeps going and i feel like he does a great job of like being a straight man to her sometimes yeah. She gets to play these wild characters, and he's more reserved sometimes. She's but. also doing a thing in that sketch that has always blown my mind because I've been, I've listened to this album for. This is one of the few that like I inherited from my grandmother. Maybe not this copy wow. itself, but like I inherited a few from my grandmother, like through my mother, that got me started doing this whole thing. Cool. And so I've been listening to it for a long time, 
A, it never gets old, but B, there's in that sketch, she's giggling in character. Yeah. yeah. That's not easy to do. No. It sounds simple, but she's giggling the whole fucking time like an yeah. idiot. Yeah. But that's in character. And that's, I don't know. I feel like that's hard to do because to, you're like, oh, God, you get more self conscious, I think. Yeah. I would. Maybe. I, I wonder if they ever did a, a, a filmed version of this. Like a, cause that's what I was wondering too. Because you can hear how much fun they're having with each other and with the audience and how much fun the audience is having with them through the recording. Mm -hmm. And I bet it's even more obvious when you see it in person, certainly through a screen, but then in person, it just must be that much wilder Mm -hmm. because uh, it's infectious. Like you can really sense how much fun they're having. It's crazy. You don't get that all the time with, Mm -hmm. with sketch comedy. Usually someone's bitter at someone somewhere. Like there's always mm. a weird vibe going on. Like if you go and see live sketch comedy, yeah, um, and you just don't get a sense of that. This is them in their prime. There's this weird warmth to it that I yeah. can't quite define. Yeah. And again, like I said, I, I've always you, you always heard rumors of you know uh, where the romance might have been or whatever. But clearly, there's love there. As, sure. Like the kind you only find with another actor. At totally. Least, you know, yeah. it's like, oh yeah, we fucking click. Yeah. We're going to. Keep, I mean, they did at least three albums together. Yes. I think so right. just like to to keep doing, which means probably multiple Broadway shows or stage shows. Yeah. I would imagine they pretty much, I think, stopped performing because they just both individually got so busy with their careers, right. In a sense, yeah. And you know, Mike Nichols went on to become an incredible Academy Award winning director, mm-hmm. and they would come back together as well. I. I did very cursory reading on this, but but um, Elaine wrote The Birdcage, yes, which Mike yeah. directed, mm-hmm. you know, in the 90s. So they would find these ways to get back together and, and, and work together again. And uh, I remember loving that film when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, The Graduate. And I saw just recently Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which is oh. a mad, <laughs> relentless... <laughs> Shit. beast of a film of a play as well mm-hmm. i mean it's not an easy play Mm-mm. and that film is not an easy watch either i mean it's no. just it's madness it's drunken madness <laughs> uh for you know almost two hours yeah and uh brilliantly performed as well and um i i forgot that mike nichols had directed that and i saw it again years later for uh, a couple weeks ago but just to under and you know I'm, I'm sure there are people who've done much more scholarly work on this but if if you just think of Virginia Woolf and then think of the two of them playing those, those yes, main Yes, which like, they did you know, in in 1980 they we, went on oh, to play there them we go. Okay. in a in a revival uh in I think Connecticut or God something damn like it, that. Damn it, I would have loved to have seen that. Yeah. Seriously, and that's them, you know, aged up I'm guessing playing the two main main characters mm-hmm. not the the other couple drinking with them. Um that must have been, I mean, absolutely wild and probably w- wickedly funny because I don't think Richard Burton and Elizabeth um, <laughs> Taylor, Taylor, thank you. Uh, what you what you were tuning in to watch with them was mm. their history, yes, and their on again, off again, but never gone love for each other, mm-hmm. and just God, that that's a whole other element that I think makes that film pop. Yeah, I bet the stage version with, with May and Nichols would, would have been just way funnier. And yet, you know, here's a couple that have so much history mm-hmm. over 30 years prior. Yeah. That's, that's gotta be a, a loaded performance as well. For sure. 
God, that's that's amazing. I would have loved to yeah. have seen that. I wonder if they ever filmed that as well. I know. I mean, here's the thing. A lot of great productions get filmed in some way, mm-hmm. and it's not usually this it's never the same. Right. Like watching live theater and watching theater that's been taped in some way, it just doesn't work. But man, I would love to see. I'm gonna I'm gonna like do a little scrounging to see if there's mm-hmm. some sort of archival something out there. I know. It, it's just I, I wonder too like how, how much he learned how much they both learned back and forth do, doing that kind of work together like how much she might have learned as a writer how much he learned as a director because that I'm trying to remember after having watched it's been a while since I've seen Virginia Woolf mm-hmm. is it is it just the action that's frenetic or is it is it is it a lot of single shots like it's it's been a while since I've seen it's, it like it's very stagey in the okay. sense that you'll have very long shots. I, if I remember correctly, you'll have mm-hmm. very... Uh, I was drinking wine, of course, <laughs> as one does when they're drinking Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. You just start tucking into stuff uh, with a group of friends. And uh, I remember... I mean, it's very theatrical in the sense that you have a set. And while it's a little bit easier, I think, in the film to drift from locations in the house, like mm-hmm. they use the kitchen... They use the living room. They use the bedroom. They use the outdoor space a little bit. And then sure. at one point, they go to a bar mm, and get even right. more soused. And then they're in the car driving soused. Mm-hmm. And then they get back into the house and really get into it. And I, it's been so long since I've read the play. Um, and I don't remember the bar. I don't know if that was added for the film just to change up the locations a little bit more. It's a little bit easier to maintain one location in a play. Mm -hmm. But, um, uh, and I don't think I've ever seen a live version of it before. I've only read the play and seen the the film a couple times. Mm -hmm. Um, Great play, if you haven't read it, by Edward Albee, who, side note, Mm -hmm. um, was kicked out of the military school I went to for high school. (laughs) Really? Yeah, Edward Albee was kicked out of Valley Forge Military Academy. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Really funny. Yeah, I love that. That's amazing. Uh, Also, the school that um, J.D. Salinger went to and graduated from. Wow. He did not get kicked out. Okay. Two, you know, pretty big literary icons. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, one that did not make it through and one that did, <laughs> oddly enough. Um, yeah, so I remember the 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 film really le- leaning on the acting chops of of everybody involved. That's what I figured, yeah. Yeah, and, and Nichols not trying to be too clever with things. Mm-hmm. Just letting these two juggernauts go at each other yeah 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 and it is it is so vicious (laughs) it's hilarious and jaw-dropping and you're just like gobsmacked half the time but also just so delicious to sort of be a fly on the wall and watch this couple eviscerate each other yeah and yet love it so much right at the same time. It's such a polar opposite because anytime there's an argument or anything in, again, like, I think that's the difference is there's these two cold assholes in this play. Yeah. For Love is, at the very least, going, if not entirely gone, where, again, anything in here, and again, it could just be their relationship as actors, mm-hmm. but it's just so sweet and loving. Uh, and I, I don't know which one I love the most. The mother one is the most, like... It's it's the strangest one of it's, them all. It, I love how it just starts devolving. Like at the end, it <laughs> devolves into the, like a goo goo gaga mother and son <laughs> so conversation, and it's 
it goes to a, an absurd place that I don't think comedy went to back then. Mm-hmm. Like the only absurd comedian that I can think of at this time who was famous for being weird and wacky and, and out there was um, Jonathan Winters. Sure. You know, he yeah. was really out there and, and and just kind of larger than life. But he would come on to shows like, I think, some of the, the uh, evening shows yeah. or like... I think maybe he was on Hee Haw sometimes or something like that. He could have been. So, some of those programs where he would just come on and just do stuff out of left field that uh-huh. people would be like, crazy, wacky Jonathan Winters being a real loose cannon. The bit that I've always been told to look up and remind people to look up is just look him up. I think it's on Steve Allen where Steve Allen hands him a twig, says, what can you do with this? And he goes on a rant for five fucking minutes. He does a bit about a twig. Up. Yeah, it's genius. But yeah, you're right. I guess it's not... He, but he's out of this, out of, he's out of left field in a totally different way too. But mm-hmm. yeah, uh, this is so. But this like <laughs> turns into that mm-hmm. and you're not expecting to go. And it has, it's actually a, a weird place to end the whole album. Yes. Um, because you're like, what, Where, what just happened? <laughs> like we really got fucking crazy. Did it, did they drop? acid and then like at the beginning of the sketch and then it just hit by the time we got to the end of it right and it it's it's great because you you yeah i i don't i mean i'm not an expert on this time period with regards to comedy but sure you you just don't see that a lot but you're heading in that direction in the 60s as Mm -hmm. you get into more you know hippie culture and and, uh enjoyment of of drugs and narcotics and that working its way into into pop culture you know you get movies like casino royale the original casino royale which just insane just goes nuts in the end and just turns into a drug trip Mm -hmm. essentially um also i think had i think the director walked out halfway through i don't know that one's a real crazy one the original bond or one of the one of the first bond films yeah you know the the there's like three james bonds in it or something yeah there are and it's david niven yeah david uh, niven sellers actually one of he's in it yeah is he one of the i think he's one of the bonds okay and then i know woody allen's in it somewhere yeah woody allen plays james bond as well good god you know the first bond though was an american tv movie Oh, because you know that. I'm like Royale? a Bond aficionado. They called him Jimmy Bond. No shit. Jimmy Bond. No shit. Just some American <laughs> some dipshit. Schmuck. Yeah, and it's I don't know why that ever happened, but that was them trying to first. It's weird. It's very That's strange. Crazy. To me. I'm gonna look that up. I also think a lot of this album, a lot of my favorite stuff from this period, has this tinge of, oh hey, people are starting to go to therapy now. People are starting to go to analysis now. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, let's play with your the Oedipal side of like people are becoming aware of maybe yeah, oh god psychology. maybe I have an Oedipal, Oedipal complex maybe I have this and it's like that now is starting to enter comedy and yeah, it's that's it's right. a new thing yeah and the whole you idea get a sense of, of that New York yeah, neuroticism oh that, for sure you do that's yeah. like this is what's going to give birth to people like Woody Allen mm-hmm. like these classic New York uh, uh, and you know I don't mean to praise Woody Allen he's a very controversial figure sure and I'm I'm not getting into that but. But I, I just mean that idea of the neurotic New Yorker, which mm-hmm. then spreads to Hollywood mm-hmm. and then kind of expands from there into film and TV. But yeah, that's it's like you feel like you're listening to a New York album, like mm-hmm. a Broadway or like just live comedy show sure. in New York in 1960, which is really cool. Yeah, because I don't think at this point, I don't know when Woody Allen... We won't stay stay on that topic for too long, but I don't know when he started doing stand-up. I Me know neither. the big years were 64 to 68. 
He was writing well before this, but th- there's a right. very good chance that this is exactly the kind of zeitgeist that was turning him into, oh, I can turn the worst parts of myself into a funny stage right. persona. So you're, you're probably right. I, I love so much that one of my, like every bit, first of all, the album starts out with one of my, doesn't start out, but it opens the first joke in the first one. That's K as in knife. Oh that my whole God. fucking bit. So good. That just kills the audience, Kaplan, and you're like, "Oh, I'm on board. I'm yeah. on board." Kaplan spelling out Kaplan, <laughs> and her voice is so fucking funny. Oh God, just like certain <laughs> words that she hits. Nyan. Yeah. And apparently, though, that was like legit how they did it too, just to differentiate. But like, she's way overplaying it, which I I love so so much. Oh my God, so much and. Like I see people doing that to this day, playing with with dialect and language, and, mm-hmm. and just over enunciating words because it's a fun character choice. Of course, and it works. It really, really works. Your dime, like saying <laughs> dime instead of dime, and uh, like it's just, it's so good. And and you know, the bumbling operators is is a is a trope. It's a character mm-hmm. that, that shows up in comedy. Like Lily Tomlin yes. really takes it to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wonder if this is kind of the, the, the seed that kind of that character grows from, mm-hmm. but it's, uh, yeah, it's a real gas, man. She is, she is a, a firecracker. Oh my God. She's I know. So funny. Like he, he, you know, and he gets his, he gets his bits too. Yeah. Like, and no, no, most no, totally of his does. are, most but he of doesn't them try are, to steal the show from No, her. not at all. Like, they work really make no well sense. It would no. make no sense, because, like, what he's got going for him is he sounds like a schmuck. He looks like a schmuck. Yeah. Like, he's a handsome guy, but he looks yeah. like a guy who you're going to take advantage of. <laughs> and there's just yeah. so much of, but, ma'am, I don't have the time. Yeah, like, he's good so much cracking squeak. his voice so at the great. right place. Yeah. <laughs> It sounds so desperate. You relate to him 100%, but yeah. then at the same time, you're like, what the fuck is she going to do next? Yeah. That's three different characters. Although maybe three different characters. It's hard to say. Maybe I think they're it's all the same person. Yeah. I think it's the same person Could fucking be. with him. And because the second character is, is it's really brilliantly set up. The first character is just like a zany operator, like the world's worst operator. Uh-huh. And she does not like this guy for some reason. Mm-hmm. And just decides to fuck with him comes on as the operating supervisor <laughs> who still sounds like her but is kind of just a little bit more serious sounding like yeah. she's playing she's playing two characters now mm-hmm. and then the third character is the the manager and is just pure pleasure like just like <laughs> she's just just leaning into this guy and he has no clue i mean it's so good i think it's all one person you're probably right the guy <laughs> it's so much more enjoyable to think of it that way yeah ma'am you took my dime oh my god like she just does this. <laughs> yeah it's like <laughs> it's so good yeah uh, and he still doesn't get he gets absolutely no, no satisfaction in no, the end zero it's oh, great god damn it do you have a favorite of the four like is there one particular i mean they're all very good they're but... all very good uh adultery is very funny <laughs> as you kind of look into the psyches that their their version of the psyches of you know america britain and france uh-huh. <laughs> um i gotta say i think telephone is my favorite not yeah. that it got worse as you went through sure but that one was just uh it was so quick paced it mm-hmm. was so back and forth they were so on the ball with each other that um it's a great one to start the album off with or it would be a great one to end it off with that's also true. Yeah, it's 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 so fucking solid. You could do either. Yeah. What about you? What do you think? Uh, let me look. I'm gonna I'm gonna look at the. This is so dumb. Like I can if if you mention one, I know. Boy, oh boy. I, 
the reason I really love Disc Jockey, and I yeah, that one's great too. I think Telephone is. I think I'm on board with that probably being my favorite of them, but mm-hmm. Disc Jockey's a close second, and I think it's because. Well, it could just be ego speaking. That just reminds me of something I would write, and that's 100%. Yep. It was like, that's my style. Yeah. It's 100% my style. It's just him saying, you know, my friend Bertrand Russell. Like, he's yeah. just every fucking, yeah. you know, Bert, it's so dumb. Bertie. And it's a bit that I feel like is still done all the time. Yeah. You know? This, that one, for sure. Disc Jockey, where they're, he's basically making fun of, I think they're making fun of the West Coast. I think they're making mm-hmm. fun of the entertainment industry. For they're sure. They're making fun of talk shows. They're making fun of radio. Yep. They're making fun of the the fakery that you find with certain types of you know PR mm-hmm. that you have to do in this town. Um, it's still very relevant to this day. Yeah. I mean, you watch any late night talk show, and you you just watch the you can see which stars are are better at it than others. Mm-hmm. And I have very little experience with late night talk shows, so I I probably would be just as guilty at it than than others. But sure. But you can really see the host teeing up like, okay, this is the story that we came up with. Uh-huh. You're going to tell a story about how you broke a light bulb and then stepped on it and this is going to have to go to the hospital or whatever. And so you just see it's all very obvious how they've kind of set up the interview to go mm-hmm. as opposed to it just being a natural back and forth interview like we're having, which is probably good because mm-hmm. we're just rambling and going on tangents yes, and that's why are. they do it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it's funny to see how so much of the fakery that goes behind all that is a throwback to how it started, yeah. you know, and, and they're right on the money with it. That, that sketch plays today perfectly clear. Mm-hmm. It could, you, you could be set like everything they talk about. It could be set today with like just new stars names in there. For sure. Work. They yeah. actually, and the one thing that I've always appreciated about that is they explain who a couple of the names are. Cause like, I know that name, but I can't <laughs> yeah. remember who the fuck they are historically. Yeah. Totally. And they say, hey, financier. And I'm like, okay, good. Got the joke. Yep, good. Thank you. Good. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Bring the audience along with you. Mm-hmm. Don't talk down to them. You know, just. Right. It's it's brilliant writing. It's great. I love that she's starring in Two Girls in Paris, which is a Gertrude Stein <laughs> yeah, story. Yeah. And Sal Mineo plays my boyfriend, oh my uh, Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> and I was saying to Papa the other day, you know, that's what got close friends call him, Papa. I was saying to Papa the other day, <laughs> I used to know this thing by heart. I like so badly wanted to like restage these four sketches just because yeah. they're so good. Yeah. I don't, and I, I can't picture how they're played. But it never works either. when you restage uh-uh. stuff. Oh, no, it just never works. Uh-oh. It's like, you know, watching someone do the the who's on first routine, <laughs> and you're like, yes, it's funny, but like they right. did it better. So mm-hmm. you know, it's yeah, that's tough. Oh, it'd be me doing a shitty impression of Mike Nichols. <laughs> yeah. That's what it would be, 100%. Yeah. And I yeah. probably wouldn't be able to find anybody else to do it, so I'd also be doing Elaine May, and mm-hmm. nobody's going to come watch a one-man Mike Nichols on Elaine May show. <laughs> I might. I might watch All right. that. Okay, yeah. well, we'll keep that in mind for the future. I'll, I'll send you a postcard. Me? <laughs> yeah. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Uh, do you... Okay, this is something I don't get to talk with enough people about. Mm-hmm. Like, because I... Hmm, this is something I've been like... I used to heavily ask the question, like... Uh, ask a bunch of influence-related questions. Mm-hmm. And I, you sort of realize that that question ends up being a dead end because you can't peg where an influence comes from. It's absorbed. Right. You know, it's yeah. more like... It's just a thing that happened, and it's part of me. I don't know. And I, if I dig into it too deep, I'm probably going to... Fr- misremember but i do wonder like in on real finally listening to this album is there anything that you, you're immediately like oh this is something i could re-listen to and learn from in terms of acting like i know that i feel like listening to this has given me a little more speed as an improviser right even yeah. though it's listening to the same thing and over and over again you yeah. kind of establish patterns 
Um, I think an album like this is excellent at there's no empty space Mm -hmm. between the two of them. And it's not that you need to fill space at all times. You can earn silences, you can earn breaks and they do, they do in, you know, when she switches to the next operator or the (laughs) next supervisor or manager. So I imagine on stage, you can actually probably get a clear picture of the character of the operator, you know, pulling the plug or putting her hand over whatever the microphone is or whatever. And just like laughing to herself composing herself and coming on as a new person so i'm sure it's much more clear in person uh what's going on if it's one person playing three characters or yeah. a different character each time um because i i really just want to see the physicality of these characters mm-hmm. as well um but that said when you've you know you've got your earned pauses but other than that it is flying this thing mm-hmm. moves and um it's not too fast and it's not too slow it's just right mm-hmm. um and they don't talk over each other a lot. Right. They do not spend a lot of time doing that. They're very respectful of each other's toes. And um, I think with a lot of comedy, especially improv today, you see a lot of people talking over each other because they each person is like, no, 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 what I got to say, I got to say, I got to get out, uh-huh. out of here. And there's like this weird desperation that comes out when you're watching improv. Whereas these two, and they've also crafted it and, sure. and you know, perfected it over many performances. So it's different. Um, but you can see that they're not desperate, mm-hmm. they're not rushed, they're comfortable, and they're just on each other, and they're picking up the cues, and it's and it's moving at a good clip. There's It doesn't lag. It never lags. Right. And uh, you often think of old things, old movies, <laughs> old novels, old, old shit as being <laughs> slow and boring sometimes, and this is anything but that. Um... So it's it's nice to see comedy that's just done at a, a at the perfect pace. Yeah. Uh and I just love how they fill everything in with such ease. They're so relaxed. Mm-hmm. You can tell how relaxed they are. Mm-hmm. They're not nervous in one bit. Like they're just flowing. It's like it's very it's like a zen comedy mm-hmm. situation going on. I'm very much as a performer, I'm very much a uh nervous energy kind of all bottled up kind of thing. My my thing to work on the most is just always calming down. Yeah. Always like just breathe, go and, you know, relax. And when I'm filming, I tend to be a little bit slower getting my stuff out, my lines out uh than I would be on stage live because of a couple reasons. I just want to make sure I hit all the moments that I'm trying to hit. Mm-hmm. And also, I know they can, in most cases, they're going to tighten things with editing. Uh, and I don't worry about pace as much mm-hmm. when I'm filming. When I'm on stage, I'm worried about pace. When I'm, when I'm on stage, if I'm doing a play or improv, you are your own editor. And you are keeping the pace. You know, you're, everything is on screen. All the footage is on stage, I mean. And so, you, got, you have to edit it all together yeah you have to it's the director's job to try and focus the energy on stage so that the audience can see exactly what he or she wants the audience to see mm-hmm. uh and it's the actor's job to maintain that throughout a whole run of a, a play and it's it's a very difficult task it's the idea of not dropping the ball or um you know the the audience being the other character in a in a play mm-hmm. uh and you don't get that on on set on set you know the sound guy never wants you to 
say your line on top of the other person's line so that it can be clean for the editor to cut sure. picture. And I hate that shit so much. That's why I love working in like two shots mm-hmm. where there's two of you on screen or even two cameras so that you're getting the same thing, but you're getting the same audio track uh, from two different angles. Then you can like talk on each on, on each other's lines sure. and be on each other's cues. Um, and the sound guy won't matter. It won't matter to them because the editor can switch between those shots. No problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, or in a two shot where it's just the two of you, you can be on each other and you can sort of have a little bit more of a fiery pace. That's when you can have fun with pacing and being on each other's cues, but they don't do this here. They're just like, mm-hmm. they're very good at click, clack, click, clack, click, clack and finding their, their way of getting in there. Yeah. Um, with the odd comment or even a mm-hmm, sure yeah like <laughs> just filling the space and keeping that the ball is in the air the whole time it's it's great and you know that's something that i definitely would love to bring into my work it's amazing that that energy is there after you've improvised it after you've potentially beaten the hell out oh, of it yeah. because you're you rewriting be sick it. it sick of hell after you've beaten it up it. rehearsing yeah. it yeah after you've beaten it up performing it a million yeah. times and then somebody says, we're going to do a record. Finally, fuck, fuck, are we done with this thing? Like, I'm yeah. not saying that's how they felt, but I can get the idea that that many, going through the same thing that felt so fresh that first time. Yeah. I, 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 well, I Elaine, don't know how... you're welcome on the show. If you want to come on, let's talk about it. But <laughs> Elaine, come on out, please. For real. Do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I always marvel at stand-ups, how when you're watching them, it sounds like, or it feels like, they're trying material on you for the first time. Now yeah, yeah. in LA you're, you get pretty lucky where you, you can go out to a, a live show and very often, especially if it's like a late night, you know, a late night set at the comedy store or, you know, a surprise visit by someone, they're going to be testing out new material and that's very exciting. Sure. But like generally a stand up comedian is, is traveling with their material for months on the road from, you know, room to room testing how it is, how it feels in the Midwest, how it feels in the South, how it feels in Texas, mm-hmm. how it feels in Washington state, you know, like it's very different audiences, very different, um, last for different jokes and things like that before they even get to recording a live, you know, taping, sure. whether it's for an album or, or, you know, a comedy central special or something like that. Th- they must be so sick of their material by then. Uh, but they do such a good job of just making it seem like you're hearing it for the first time. Mm-hmm. It always makes me, I feel so cheap when I'm listening to a comedy album and I hear a, a bit that they've done before somewhere else that I've heard it. I'm like, I'm like, oh, you fucking cheater. You're cheating on me. What the fuck is this? I feel dirty and cheap. And yeah, it always pisses me off, but that's the reality of it. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, you know, especially with theater, you don't get this with TV and film, but you get it with theater and you get it with stand up comedy. You don't get it with improv, but mm-hmm. the idea of making something as fresh as possible every single time you do it. And, and yeah. that's the joy of those mediums mm-hmm. is that it's never going to be the same. It's always going to be a different show. Every single night you're doing a play if you try and muscle it into the same show it was the night before right. or the, the time when it was the best, sure, you're fucked. Mm-hmm. It's going to be so screwed. And you're going to be in your head. You're going to be just... You're going to shit the bed the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's impossible to to achieve you know, the same show twice. And the more you relax and just go with the flow and, and work from where you are. They used to teach us this all the time at theater school. They're like you know, approach the material from where you are that day. Yeah. 
So what you ate, how little sleep you got, how rushed you were to get to the theater, whatever it is, like you have to take all that into account. Mm -hmm. Your body is different today than it was yesterday. And you need to be fine with it and you need to be ready for whatever, you know, you could have fucking diarrhea and have to do a two hour (laughs) show. You got to make sure that you maintain and keep it in and just go. Um, this sounds like a very personal story that has happened <laughs> it's before. Not. No, no, it's not. There was a famous story drifting around the Toronto theater scene for years uh-huh. of um, someone shitting their pants on stage at the Shaw Festival, which is in Niagara-on-the-Lake. It's outside of Toronto. And there, there is a famous tale. I wish I knew it... I don't know. I don't remember who it was, and I wouldn't say because that would just be. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, he would be mortified. Uh huh. Um, he'd be sitting in a vat of hand sanitizer <laughs> for days after that. Um, yeah, someone shat themselves on stage in like a period play. Oh no! Like just horribly. Oh, um, that's terrible. But I've, I mean, I've had crazy things happen to me on stage. I I've bet. broken my foot on stage uh-huh. in the middle of a show. I stress fractured my arm in the middle of a show. Uh, that was in the middle of Evil Dead the Musical, oh where God. we were in like this big, huge battle scene at the end, and I was playing a Kandarian demon, as one does. Mm-hmm. And uh, I uh, slipped in some blood on the stage, some stage blood, and because we were, you're, it's a very bloody gory. If you don't know Evil Dead, yeah. go and watch it. Evil yeah. Dead One, Evil Dead Two, Army of Darkness. Uh, it's all pretty crazy. Um, but anyways, I slipped in some blood on stage that was not supposed to be there, and I went flying into the audience, but I stopped myself before I landed on people. Uh, I was sliding on my knees down down the stage, and I stopped myself with my arm on the edge of a railing, a table <gasps> railing. So it was just like a hard edge, all my body weight sliding oh. in the middle of this massive fight scene. Um and immediately my whole arm was just like, oh, God. And I had another show to do that night. Shit. It was like a two-hour show, hour-and-a-half, two-hour show that we did twice a night on Fridays and Saturdays. That really sucked. So between the show, I had to, like, try not to throw up because my body was in shock from mm-hmm. fracturing my arm. Wrap it up, ice it, get some food in me. But I was nauseous, but I needed energy. Advil like crazy. And then I had to go through all my stunts like flips and rolls and all these like fight things uh-huh. with my arm bandaged up so that I could figure out how to not land on it Oof. and like do all this shit. And that was the second show of like a seven month run. Oh my God. It was nuts. It was the day after opening and the first show before a two show night. It was nuts. Uh, <laughs> and you just got to maintain, uh-huh. you got to, the audience can't know that something's wrong. Is it all? Well, it's not, you just established it's not, but cause my, uh, is it headspace? Is there are there skills that you've learned to keep it fresh? I mean, are there particular like, and I don't necessarily mean rituals, but I mm. mean like because I know that's also can be part of it for some people. But there's when you're doing a really long, it's it's different. If if you're doing like a two or three three week run of a play, mm-hmm. um, you're still discovering shit as you go along. Mm-hmm. The last show, you're still like, oh fuck, that's what that means. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, you'll you'll hit moments that you've never hit before. Because you're still sussing things out. You've mm-hmm. probably only rehearsed the play for three weeks, and then you're performing it for three weeks. Yeah. You're not going to discover every you know inch of this. The, the theater tradition in North America can be very fast-paced. In Europe, they'll work on something for months and sometimes years 
before they really dive into it and have an understanding on it. They just oh. take time with things in mm-hmm. some of these, especially in Eastern European theater traditions. Um, but in America and in Canada, you're just cranking stuff out and you don't have a budget to rehearse for sure. months and things like that. And you don't have the audience to do that. Or, or, and, and so you just got to kind of do the best you can. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really cool when you do a play and then come back to it a year later and it gets remounted because all of a sudden the play is like in a whole other zone a year okay. later because it's just sat in the back of your fucking weird brain mm-hmm. percolating doing its own thing and you come back a year later dust it off rememorize the lines they're still pretty much there and then discover like oh my god this is totally different or this happened in my life since then it's coming out completely different now or just deeper and richer and this is so weird. It's a great, really cool experience that I hope every actor who does theater gets a chance to 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 experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure, you know, like, I'm sure Nichols and May would dust some of these off from time to time. Right. You know, they might do Operator at a fundraiser or, like, sure. I think they performed at Jimmy Carter's inauguration. Oh, my God. And, you know, I'm sure they did, like, a greatest, a quick, you know, 10, 15-minute set of, you know, two, two of their greatest sketches or whatever. Yeah. And they could just dust it off um you know that's it these are bits and and comedians are 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 so good at that i'm not good at that i'm <laughs> i i memorize something i perform it and then i'm moving on to the next one like that chunk of my brain that memorized those lines i'm like forget it i don't remember that shit you could ask me like a couple weeks later be like i did i what do i say again <laughs> what's the line i don't remember i'm on to new shit that i'm working on yeah. so I have great short-term memory, but my long-term memory is garbage. That's interesting. Yeah. Huh. I don't have any, which is why I have a script on stage. I'm also usually <laughs> drinking on stage. Yeah, so that helps, too. That does help. <laughs> Actually, uh, don't do that with live theater people, please. We're, we're not condoning that. I do drink on stage, though. I'm just saying. That's what I do. Yeah, that's true. Comedy's different. It is different. It's not It's not, It's not. not theater what I do. I mean, it's not. It is, but it's it not. It is, but it is, but it's not. I see. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's not. It's looser though, and that's. Oh yeah. More comfortable for it's a lot of an sitting audience. too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a lot more sitting. Uh, <laughs> so we've established. Nobody heard me say that. We've established that your favorite one is telephone. Yes. Okay. Yeah, uh, I, I I thoroughly agree. It's, it's it's a brilliant album, and again, it like I said, it's stands re-listening since I've been listening to it for probably twenty years, off and on. You know, I mean, it's this is something just that good. I am going to go back to and listen. To you should. Again, you should. Sure. It's, it's 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 perfect uh, on on many levels, even with the weird ending with the mom and son sketch. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I love also that ending. love that ending. I it's love that ending. I just so... you're not expecting it out of 1960 no, comedy. No. Why recommend this to somebody who hasn't heard it before? It's it's always good to listen to classics. Mm-hmm. You get a better understanding of where we are now from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of classics can be very boring. This is not. Mm. This is uh, a classic for a reason, and it's on these best of lists for a reason. Even though, you know, these lists that are being written today or even ten years ago, I, I, I you know, it's not like Mike Nichols and Elaine May are in the zeitgeist in any way. Right? You know, they're not. They, for all intents and purposes, you would expect them to be buried in, in you know, the vast volume of comedy that we have out there but mm-hmm. it stands out today and is still relevant and still good today for a reason it is a classic for a reason so it's 100 percent uh relevant and worthy give it a spin sounds good yeah all right 
one more time. Tell people about Carter, where they can find it, and when. All right. Carter is on WGN America, uh, Tuesdays at 10 p.m. Uh, I believe they'll have it available on their website as well, so you can oh, good. Google that and maybe give it a watch there. Maybe you could even watch it maybe. there. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> um, it stars Jerry O'Connell and Sydney Poitier Hartsong, who is Sydney Poitier's daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's fantastic as well, and myself, and a whole bunch of uh, great actors um, and guest stars as well. And uh, even uh, Jerry's wife um, makes a little appearance on it. Rebecca Romaine comes and joins us, which mm-hmm. is really cool. Um, it's just a really fun show, so awesome. check it out. If you want some laughs and want to watch something that's, you know, Murder, She Wrote meets Magnum P.I., <laughs> small town with way too many murders and Love it. a little bit of, you know, comedy and action involved, mm-hmm. then check out Carter. That's perfect. And people can find you on where? The We're... Twitter sure. and the Instagram. At Mr. Christian Brune. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the easiest way to see what I'm up to. I'm posting regularly and responding usually. So mm-hmm. drop me a line. Delightful. Yeah. Thank you for doing the show. Thank you for having me again. I'm going to tell people very quickly uh, I'm at jklam, J K L A M M. Uh, maybe on Instagram soon I'm going to start doing that thing where I talk about all the extra work I used to do because I might be doing one more fun extra gig later this year just because it's for a fun show. Uh, that might happen again. Uh, CelerySoundRecords.com. That's my little sketch comedy record label. Go there. And then my Jerry O'Connell story. Uh, very quickly when I was on <laughs> Crossing Jordan, this extra came Crossing up. Crossing Jordan. Yeah, I was a goth. I dyed my No, you shit. were not. Yup. That and Alias shot back to back, same episode of the show. They're the exact, almost titled the exact same thing. Oh, wow. And so a 30 or 40 of us had all, like, we had our goth shit ready and we just did both shows in a row. I dyed my hair for it like an ass. You, uh, permanent dye. Uh, of course. Because <laughs> I was so smart. Um, you were one of the go to goth extras <laughs> in apparent, town. Apparently. Yeah. They're like, you have black hair? I'm like, mm hmm. Uh, and uh, but one guy said, "Yeah, I was working on Crossing Jordan a couple months ago, and I was running late. And the PAs were, you know, if a PA caught me, they were going to fire me." Jerry O'Connell saw me and said, "Here, hop in my car." So he let an extra hop into his car. They drove into set, drove up onto set, both with. He gave him a coffee. He's like, "Oh, sorry, it's my fault. He was late." So he saved this guy's ass because that's Jerry, sweetest man on the planet. Jerry, apparently. I've seen Jerry do stuff like that. Yeah. many many times. You know, Christian's a very nice guy, too. I just feel like I should point out, I know we've talked a lot about how nice Jerry O'Connell is. <laughs> You're a very nice fella. I really like Orphan Black. Thank you. This new show sounds great. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Check I it genuinely out. want to watch it. I cannot wait to see it. Awesome. Um, that's about it. Thank you guys for listening. <clears throat> and I'm losing my voice. And as always, <laughs> have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Comedy on Vinyl, or find everything in one place at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune in to the new Stand Up Records channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15-plus years. 